Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. And good morning on this Tuesday. Thanks for starting off your morning with Mornings Without Carmen here on Faith Radio. Yeah, Carmen's on her vacation with her sister, enjoying some time away. And so I'm Paul Perot, usually the producer, but today your host, and I will be that for the rest of the week. Uh, Carmen returns on Monday. Okay, we just heard a little while ago, but let's look at it again because, you know, as I was looking at this verse today and looking at its context, you're just kind of jumped out at me, especially with what we're going on in today's world. Romans 12, 12 and 13, rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble. Keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Now, now yesterday, if you were uh, listening, we were focused on James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, where, where James is calling us to persevere in living out our faith, to live our lives in light of our faith, even when it's easier to react the way the world reacts around us or when we feel these internal urges to act in ways that don't accord with the ways of God's kingdom. Well, today, the Apostle Paul is striking a very similar note because a living faith in the gospel of the kingdom of God is meant to be lived out in real life, in real community, and in the real world. Let's look at Romans 12 more fully. It starts out with the therefore, and we don't have time to unpack the therefore. That has to do with everything else Paul has already written in Romans, especially chapter 11. But just to somehow quickly summarize it, and this is, doesn't do it justice, but he talked about especially the importance of humbly standing in faith, not trusting in our works, not trusting in our pedigrees or anything like that, but trusting in God's mercy toward us in Jesus. And then he goes on from there, therefore, from that therefore, I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the good, what, uh, prove the good, well-pleasing and perfect will of God. That's pretty all-encompassing, not conforming to the world and its ways, but to the ways of God and his kingdom. To do that. Now, for the sake of time, because I don't want to take up the full half hour here, we have uh, Mark Caleb Smith joining us shortly. Summarizing verses 3 through 11, Paul calls us to humble service, understanding that we are, yes, we are all different. We all have different gifts, but we're to use them for the good of others, especially our fellow believers, to do so not just doing it, but do so joyfully, lovingly, diligently, which brings us to our Growing Our Faith verse for today, chapter uh, 12 again, verses uh, 12 through 13. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. What confident hope? Well, again, the hope of the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus. That kingdom is sure. You, oftentimes people say, they'll say to you, you're on the wrong side of history. Ah, no, we're not. God's kingdom is coming. And because of this, 
We can be patient in our troubles. And we keep praying, yes, Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Bring that kingdom, Father. We keep on praying. And in this truth, we persevere. And we do so together. Verse 13, again, when God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Our perseverance that we talked about yesterday It's not a solo project. It's a community project. We do it together. Remember that old song, they will know we are Christians by our love. When people outside the community of Jesus see Jesus' people, the citizens of the kingdom, living out the kingdom and its values, that becomes a powerful, powerful witness. And it's only in this confidence of hope that we can, that is lived out corporately, that we can hope to do the rest of chapter 12, for that matter. Let's quickly read through that. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own conceits. Repay no one evil for evil. Respect what is honorable in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as it is up to you, be at peace with all men. Don't seek revenge yourselves, beloved, but give place to God's uh, give place to God's wrath. For it is written, "Vengeance belongs to me; I will repay," says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him; if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you heap coals of fire on his head. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. If we want to see the evil of this world overcome, the gospel of the kingdom calls us to something different than just tribalistic fight fire with fire. God calls us to a different way. We see it lived out by Jesus in the gospels, the fruit of the spirit he showed, and we'll focus on that a little bit later on this hour. And we are to represent Christ and his fruit to a world to the world ourselves. Are we doing that well in our families, in our churches, in our communities, in our civic engagement? How do we, again, properly apply this mind of Christ, this mind renewal that the chapter 12 starts with to how we live our lives and engage our world? We're going to delve into that a bit with Mark Caleb Smith from Cedarville University. He's going to join me in just one minute. I'm Paul filling in for Carmen. Mornings with Carmen here on Faith Radio. This could be an interesting day as police in Miami are preparing for former President Donald Trump's arraignment in federal court this afternoon at 3 o'clock Eastern, 2 p.m. Central. I'm Paul, and this is Mornings with Carmen. Yeah, Police Chief Manuel Morales says they are prepared to handle crowds of up to 50,000 people. Uh, this comes as both supporters and of the former president and those who oppose him are planning protests outside the federal courthouse as he's arraigned. Yeah, it could be an interesting day, and as we think about this, and again, trying to apply the mind of Christ to it, joining us again is Mark Caleb Smith. He's one of our regulars here on Mornings with Carmen from Cedarville University. How are you doing, Mark? I'm doing well today, Paul. How are you? I'm, I'm doing pretty well, apart from, you know, lack of sleep last night. Insomnia hit me, so as, as I mentioned earlier, if I start snoring, just throw something at uh, your computer to wake me up, at, something like that. Anyway, okay, yesterday, just to give you a bit of background, we were talking with yeah. Elizabeth Newman, 
about who worked at the Department of Homeland Security from Bush through Trump and her concerns if the allegations are true regarding, you know, these documents that some of these are highly top secret documents and what that meant for the welfare of our nation, our service members, our allies and such. Well, afterwards, Mark, I had a text conversation with a listener who was concerned that, okay, we're talking about this, but we're not talking about some of the concerns around some allegations of, you know, document uh, with, that uh, President Biden had after he left right. uh, the vice presidency and other issues like that and other people, too. And it, it, it's I, it, I felt there was this. Yeah, but yeah, but this. Yeah, but is OK. As Christians, as we seek to apply the mind of Christ to these matters, how do we properly, fairly deal with both issues? That's a big, big I, I, question. Yeah. yeah, I think it's a great question. And uh, for anyone who spends any amount of time on social media, this is kind of how a lot of discussions on social media end up. Um, so you make a post about something that you're concerned about, whether it's Donald Trump or Joe Biden, and then somebody comments to that, yeah, but what about this and what about that? And Pretty soon, it's just a thread of people arguing back and forth. Um, I, I think there are a couple of things here, and we can go in a lot of different directions that you want, Paul. But I mean, I think two things here spring to mind. I mean, one is Trump's case is different in, in a lot of ways, and we can talk about exactly what those differences are. But I do think you can look at Trump's case versus Joe Biden's and even versus Hillary Clinton's and some others and say there are some differences here that are legally significant and that are worth uh, considering. Um, but on top of that, I think we have to start to wrestle <clears throat> with the possibility that if something is wrong for Donald Trump to do, uh, then it's also wrong for Joe Biden to do. Mm -hmm. And it's just simply wrong. You know, it's just simply wrong across the board. Um, and I think, uh, and I'm sure in your discussion yesterday, um, Anytime a president or former president or vice president or general or officer in the military or anyone that run, that you run into um, that is mishandling classified information that's potentially damaging to American interests, it's a real problem. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter what party they belong to. It doesn't matter what position they've held in the past. Um, and I think and I think scripture can speak to that, that, that as well. OK, well, what scripture do you say speaking to that? Well, I think, you know, when we look at the scripture's discussion of how the law is applied and how we apply justice, there's often an argument, especially in the Old Testament prophets, about making sure that justice is applied evenly to people who are uh, either rich or poor or prominent or not prominent. And so usually there's this concern that the that the powerful will use the law to oppress the poor. And I think that that gives us a clear idea that God is interested in the equal application of the law to people, regardless of their circumstance. Well, the difference here is, I think, we're not talking about the poor versus the uh, versus the rich or the powerful versus the powerless. We're talking about two sets of elites. Mm -hmm. We're talking about different teams of people that we might support or might not support. And we have this this interest in withholding justice sometimes from the people that we support while dispensing justice to the people that, that, that we don't. And I think scripture clearly seeks for um, and commands an equal application of, of justice, regardless of background, regardless of consequence. Mm. 
Which brings to me another question, because in our world right now, it's so easy to get caught up in the yeah butisms and all the screaming on social right. media, all the screaming you might see on the news channels. As Christians, how do we cultivate a bandwidth that can say, okay, what this person did was wrong, that should be taken care of. And also what this person did, it, it, who my, my ally, I can say, you know, somebody I'm seeing as my ally, okay, I got to be equally applying the justice to them as I would somebody who I see as my political opponent. How can I cultivate that bandwidth? I, there, I think there are a lot of answers to this. Uh, one is I think you have to be really careful about what kind of information you consume. Um, w- regardless of where you get your news, uh, I think it's in all of our interests to be consuming news that comes from a variety of different perspective, perspectives and points of view. Uh, if you're only consuming news that comes from one ideological perspective, then you really may not be hearing a lot about the problems of your own side. Or at least they'll be projected in such a way that minimizes the problems of your own side and then maximizes the problems of the other side. And so then you really may not know or have a you know an, an, an unfair understanding of reality, a skewed understanding of reality because of the information uh, that you consume. And so I think first we have to be uh, very aware of what kind of information uh, we absorb. Mm-hmm. But I also think here we got to we just have to apply God's standard. You know, this isn't about my party's standard. It isn't about uh, my ideology and its preferences. It's about what is God's standards, and we apply that evenly across the different spheres of our lives. And in some ways, you know, when I talk to students about this, this is the difference between uh, law and politics. You know, law is supposed to be a standard that transcends and sits above politics. You know, we have right and wrong. It's a legal argument that we can make here, legal and illegal. Uh, that's different than what I prefer as a political policy or as a political outcome. And if we think of law in the right way, then I think you can begin to think of how it can judge these actions regardless of who um, partakes in them. Hmm. Good point. And then from also the Christian standpoint too, okay, what is moral? What's immoral? What is in keeping with God's kingdom? What is not in keeping with God's kingdom? And there's that. And you brought up another thing too, and I'll just touch on this quickly because we oftentimes get people asking, okay, where can I go to for the news? Is there one place I can go? No, there's not. No. (laughs) Because we're all humans. We all have faulty glasses, you know, views of things. And so you need to get the perspectives and then synthesis, you know, go through and apply the mind of Christ. That's the best I can say. So we're talking with Mark Halo Smith from Cedarville University. When we come back, um, okay, many people still writing about Tim Keller and, um, and the impact he had on the church through evangelism, but also cultural engagement, because he was really, really big on that. And Mark, you wrote a piece I want you to walk us through because I thought it was really good and really to the point, especially considering our discussions today. So we'll do that here in just a few moments on Mornings with Carmen here on Faith Radio. The Bible is valuable, and reading and studying the Bible can transform your life. Hi, I'm Angela Smith, host of Reading the Bible Together podcast. Several times a year, we release a new Reading the Bible Together study. We've studied Luke, Daniel, Advent, Lent, and so many more. You can access all of our studies for free by going to the Reading the Bible Together resource page at myfaithradio.com. In addition to the studies, we also have the accompanying podcast. You can listen wherever you listen to podcasts. 
You can study on your own, or if your small group or Bible study is looking for what to study next, check out the Reading the Bible Together resource page at myfaithradio.com. Again, good Tuesday morning. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. I'm Paul, filling in for Carmen this week. And I have a friend at church, and we were talking shortly after the death of of Tim Keller just a few weeks ago. And, you know, he liked Tim Keller, he said, but he was frustrated that Tim wasn't more, quote-unquote, vocal when certain legislation or legal decisions were being handed down in in the governmental political sphere. There was a reason that he wasn't, <clears throat> quote-unquote, vocal, maybe on social media or in public um, declarations. It doesn't mean he wasn't – he didn't handle political and cultural issues. He did. And Mark Caleb Smith, uh, you have an article up at – now, you blog occasionally at the BereansAtTheGate.com blog site, and you should do more, by the way. Just saying, Mark. <laughs> I appreciate that. You're not alone in telling me that. <laughs> but you had a great piece about Tim Keller. And I want you to explain the reason uh, for Tim's way of engaging the culture. I mean, there's there's a lot there uh, for sure. Um, but I, I think at its heart, um, Keller was a pastor. And he was not a politician. Uh, he did not see himself as primarily fulfilling a political role and his role as a pastor, he, his 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 real emphasis was on trying to uh, make the gospel as attractive as he could, reasonably speaking, uh, to take stands on political issues when there is clear uh, gospel uh, implication and when the scripture speaks clearly to something, um, but to present things in a way uh, that would allow him to maintain and cultivate relationships with people who might be interested uh, in learning more about the faith. Uh, you know, if you read Keller, he took strong positions. Mm-hmm, he he, did. Away from he took strong positions on things like marriage uh, and abortion, and that fit more with a conservative point of view, for sure. But he also took strong positions on aid to the poor and on equality before the law. And you could argue in some ways that fit more with a liberal point of view. Um, and Keller firmly believed that scripture really doesn't give us a full ideology. It doesn't give us a full blueprint for how to approach politics. And because of that, you know, politics shouldn't be divisive within the church. At least it shouldn't be as divisive. It should be as as least divisive as possible, I think is the best way to put it. Um, And that we should focus really on the main thing of the church, which is to fulfill the Great Commission and to equip the saints for, for further service in the kingdom of God. And so I think he did politics in a way that allowed him to be pastoral to other people. And I think that makes perfect sense once you understand where he's coming from. Uh, The frustrations, I believe, with Keller, and I think your exchange with your friend highlight that, is they sort of argue he didn't fit into this cultural moment right now. Uh, You know, that right now we're going through such a heightened sense of the culture war where we're arguing over these key things of, you know, what is true and what is beautiful, what is just, what is male, what is female, what is marriage, um, and what is life. And they felt that that people like Keller really uh, are not combative enough uh, in order to really engage in this sort of cultural conflict. But I think for Keller, uh, the cultural conflict is only going to be won through Christ. Mm-hmm. It isn't going to be won at the ballot box. It isn't going to be won through the next policy or the next court decision. It's going to be won through cultural uh, transformation that's only can reasonably occur 
um, through revival and through uh, the hearts and minds of people being one um, through the grace of God. And uh, once you see it from that point of view, then I think his actions make perfect sense. Doesn't mean people have to agree with him. Uh, but he certainly had a different perspective than most of the cultural uh, warriors we uh, hear about today. One aspect, though, okay, you use the term pastoral, yeah. and we, we keep forgetting, what does pastor mean? Shepherd. And yeah. he, that's what he, that was his mode of doing things, to shepherd things along, not to drive things, you know, drive uh, like a warrior. That, that wasn't his thing. Yeah, he, was, he was the shepherd. And you had the line in here toward the end of your article, godly politicians or political operatives of any kind are not pastors or not shepherds, but they they should do politics in a way that allows them to be pastoral, shepherding, as they engage the world, their families, and their neighbors. This is good, and it should encourage those fully within the political world. If there is – one of the things you know about a shepherd, they tend, they care for their sheep. Right. Even if the sheep are running off, they're doing crazy things, they care. And it's, they, see the, they see the different sheep. And you, you bring that out in, a, in the article, how he, he interacted uh, with a guy named Josh, I think it was. There was yeah. this shepherd, even though they politically yeah. disagreed. Fully disagreed. That's fully right. disagreed, but right. shepherded him in such a way to draw him into the fold. And I, I think it's a beautiful image. I, and, and I think that that's an accurate description of Keller's life and his ministry. Um, and, you know, I'm biased. You know, I have a strong point of view on a lot of these issues, but I, I honestly think American evangelicalism would benefit from more of that model. Um, uh, I understand it may not provide short-term political satisfaction, but I, I truly believe it would provide uh, long-term uh, benefits to the kingdom. Mm. And so I, you know, I think a lot of Keller, um, I think his legacy is going to be a massive as we move forward. Um, but yeah, I think it's, uh, it's something we need to reflect on because this is a key moment in American evangelicalism. It is, it is. So how do we, how do we do with ways, do things the way that honor our God, our kingdom, as well as move things forward to help others? That's, that's the balance. And it's uh, not an easy balance, not an easy balance. It's not, but I think Keller struck it well. And uh, even if you don't agree with him, I think he's worth pondering and and considering. Agreed. Agreed. Hey, Mark, again, thank you for joining us on Mornings with Carmen here on Faith Radio. I always appreciate your input. Paul, I really do appreciate it. Uh, Thanks to you. Thanks to Carmen. And thanks to all the listeners. I'll talk to you again soon. All right. Blessings. Up next is uh, a quick word with, or upwards, that is, with uh, Max Lucado here on Faith Radio. Okay, we oftentimes struggle with journalism and such and all the claims of fake news and things. So how can we support journalists in a Christian way? I'm Paul here on on Faith Radio filling in for Carmen this week. And I I just stumbled across an article yesterday um, from Joel Way News. He's a Christian news writer. Um, Actually, I saw it at another website, but they copied it. And he, he... did an interview with Peter Crumpler, a former communications director for the Church of England. He offers five suggestions when it comes to supporting and engaging journalism in a Christian way. Number one, pray for the media. <laughs> That's always number one, prayer, yes! So, number one, pray for those who work in and with the media. There's actually a network over in England called Christians and Media that has an annual day of prayer for media, and that is really cool. Okay, number two, 
Don't say fake. Yes, I know it's easy, but resist the term using the term fake news to describe news reports you disagree with. Remember, when you respond to or share news stories on social media that real people wrote and are described in them, yeah, show some value the journalist. And especially because we're here we are in these democracies. Journalistic freedom is important. Okay, you're not going to agree with their standpoint, but at least agree that they need your prayer and hopefully they're doing the best they can. Give. I know that sounds like, oh, you're giving them a pass. Well, again, prayer is so important. Okay, number one, view journalism as a worthy calling. Encourage young people within your church to consider media careers. Journalism is hard work, but a worthy calling for those for any Christian seeking to serve the God of truth. Support media, especially local media. I don't know if you know about that, but a lot of a lot of local communities don't have a good news source. If you do have one, support it in any way you can. And that brings to point number five, pay for the news you use. I know it's so easy to go on the news. Oh, it's easy to go to CNN and Fox News and all these others because it's free and you don't like going to, well, ones that have a paywall up. And I understand that. But if if there's a news site that you want to frequent, make sure, and it does have a paywall, they're trying to pay for their bills, you know, so – he encourages prayer, uh, pray, uh, paying for that. So, interesting thought from uh, Peter uh, Crumpler in England when it comes to journalistic engagement. All right. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Yeah, the fruits of the Spirit. Now, where are they first found in the Bible? If you said Galatians, Mm, no, not quite. Not 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 just quite. We're going to talk about that with uh, Pastor Jonathan Cruz coming up in about three minutes here as we continue Mornings with Carmen for this Tuesday here on Faith Radio. You look at that list of the fruit of the Spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, forbearance, and so on, and you're kind of going, I wish that was more me. Well, first off, where do you see it in the Bible? Hey, I'm Paul, filling in for Carmen on Mornings with Carmen, and I came across a little book that I thought was quite good, so I wanted to talk to the pastor who wrote it, Jonathan Cruz, joining us from Kalamazoo, Michigan. Uh, Jonathan is the pastor of, uh, what is it, uh, Community Presbyterian Church in Kalamazoo. Jonathan, thanks for joining us this morning. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Paul. You've had a nice jog this morning, and you're ready to rock and roll here, which is good. As we look at the fruit of the Spirit, now a lot of people go right to Galatians chapter 5. The list is there, but I want us to go to the very beginning, the very good place to start, all the way back in creation, when we look at the fruit of the Spirit now, <laughs> people are going to go, why are you going back there? Because fruitfulness was God's desire and design, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, you know, we read in, in the the creation account that God placed man in a garden, interestingly, mm-hmm. uh, to tend and to, to keep it. That would be to, to bear fruit, cultivate fruit. Uh, certainly, that's a physical task. Adam had 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 a real job that would, you know, his there would be dirt under his fingernails as he as he got to work in the way that God called him to. But it was a physical task that that would have mirrored a spiritual responsibility as well, which was to to mimic in his heart and life the character of his God. And so we see that's the the sense in which 
fruitfulness is used later on in Galatians as we're we're accustomed to it when we talk about the fruit of the spirit. But that idea of, of being godly or working to to um reflect godliness or to cultivate godliness is 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 part of the deal of being made in the image of God. That's what God wants for us to truly reflect him. And um so when we when we look right to the very beginning, we see that this has always been um a, a call, a responsibility um, uh, even a demand, we could say, upon uh, uh, upon humanity. Of course, Adam and Eve failed, and mm-hmm. um, things get worse from there. Uh, but yeah, it definitely starts right there in, in the garden in terms of um, mankind being made in the image of God. What does that mean? It means to bear fruits unto godliness. Mm-hmm, it does. And as you mentioned, Adam failed. Seth, his son, the godly son, failed. Noah and his family failed. Israel <laughs> failed. Yeah. King David failed. <laughs> it keeps happening. And then comes Jesus, the second Adam. So what do we see in him? Right. And so that, you know, this gets to the kind of um, uh, the the kind of key of the book. The book is called The Character of Christ. And yet it's a look at the fruit of the spirit. And, and the, uh, the, the point that I want to get across is if you want to understand what love, joy, peace, patience, and all the rest really looks like, you need to look first to Jesus. <laughs> and he is the first one. Adam failed. Israel's another spectacular failure. And and um, a God even likens them to a vineyard in, in the prophet Isaiah chapter 5 and says, you did not bear fruit. And he rejects the nation then, of course, because of that. And then he says, fine, I'm going to send my own servant who will do this for me. And, and that that um, comes to fruition in in the life of Jesus Christ. And so we have one who truly is man, but is truly God as well, and is able to do that thing that since the fall, none of us have been able to do. And that is to to mirror God, to reflect God, uh, to live the way in which God uh, calls him to live, calls all of us to live. And in that way, we see um, these these spiritual virtues um, in perfectly perfectly displayed in the life of Jesus Christ. We do. We do. Again, we're talking with Jonathan Cruz, pastor from Kalamazoo, author of The Character of Christ, The Fruit of the Spirit in the Life of Our Savior. Oh, um, I do have copies to give away, thanks to uh, Jonathan and his publisher. Uh, If you'd like to get in on the drawing, because I find that a very, very engaging and very helpful, not devotional, but it really is inspiring. So if you'd like to be in the drawing to win a copy, text the word BOOK to 877-933-2484 and just follow the hyperlink we send back and you'll be in on the drawing. Again, text the word BOOK to 877-933-2484. Now, this this may seem kind of obvious, but let's look at some of the different aspects of the fruit. And I, I kind of be careful because it's not fruits, it's fruit. It's kind of a package right. deal. And so let's look at how the love aspect, as you write about it, you see that in Christ. I mean, it should be obvious, but maybe it's not so obvious. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, to, to those who are um, spiritually blind or or our, our spiritual vision is clouded, certain things that should be obvious aren't. You're right. So, um, But the love of God is is manifest. It's, it's on full display in the person of Christ. And Jesus says very clearly if you want to know what love is, you you look to me. Greater love has no one than this, than someone laid down his life for his friends. And that's he says that in the Upper Room Discourse. And of course, shortly after, that's exactly what Jesus is doing. So he gives us 
um, the key right there to unlocking the, uh, the definition of love from God's perspective. What does it mean to love in the way that God wants us to love? It's a sacrificial love. The, the Greek word underlying that many Christians have heard before, familiar with agape, that means the sacrificial self-denying love. And that's that marked the entire ministry of Christ. Um, in love, he came to earth. In love, he was born in, into poverty and squalor. In, in love, he, he um, performed miracles, but preeminently in love, he laid down his life. Romans 5 tells us that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that, that even when we were enemies, Christ loved us and died for us. So it's not that he got anything out of it. It's not that we deserved it. It's that truly um, he did it to glorify and magnify the Father in bestowing upon us the sacrificial love. So we see love preeminently in the life of Christ laid down at the cross. Let's switch to joy because, you know, you, you hear about Jesus being the man of sorrows, acquainted with grief and from, from Isaiah, and he wept, you know, <laughs> with, with the death of, of Lazarus. But there was also joy. And, of course, you know, for a lot of people, joy, they may not have a full understanding of what joy is. So how do you see joy displayed so fully in Jesus? Yeah, great question. Well, just one thing quickly, Paul, just to connect what you said earlier, that it's the fruit of the Spirit, this collective singular noun. They all go together. Mm-hmm. Uh, we said love, love is seen at the cross. Well, joy, we also see Hebrews 12 tells us that it was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the shame and went to the cross. And so we see even love and joy coalesce there and, and combine there. Um, but but yes, Jesus Christ, uh, perhaps not known for being a jovial person. I don't think we give uh, him uh, uh, proper credit in that, that respect. He's a man of sorrows, but a man filled with joy. And that joy is a joy that's set on the will of his father. It's an abiding joy that nothing can detract from when he knows that his father's will is good and glorious and nothing can um, thwart his father's plan. And we, we're we told that as much in um, the gospel of Luke in chapter 10, the, the disciples return from a, a kind of missionary journey they, they've gone on and the, the demons are subject to them. And they're just so excited about this. How amazing is this? We've had this great ministry success. And Jesus comes back and says, uh, don't rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And then immediately after after that, it says, in that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding, but revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, such is your gracious will. He rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. He had that joy that Galatians 5 says can be ours, a fruit of the Spirit, and it's in the gracious will of his Father in writing his disciples' names in the book of life. He says, that's what you should be happy about, not circumstances like your ministry success, which ebb and flow. And we know that too, Paul, don't we? We oh, yeah. we, we our happiness and things that come and go, and then we, we feel dejected. How, how can we have this abiding joy. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. How can we do that when life's so hard? Well, if you don't root your joy in things in this life, but in the life to come and what God promises us as his children. Goes back to the kingdom. 
because back to the kingdom. So, right. again, we're talking with Jonathan Cruz, uh, author of Character, The Character of Christ. And, again, we do have uh, copies to give away. We have a handful of copies. So if you want to get on the drawing, uh, text the word book to 877-933-2484. Now, again, love, joy, peace, patience, or, or forbearance, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Some people might say, well, Jesus didn't do them all. And we're going to address that in just a few moments here as we continue talking with Jonathan on Faith Radio. As we consider the life of Jesus and the life of the first generation of Christians, reading here the book of Acts and all the letters to the Christians in the New Testament, we see people who like wake up, they come to see and understand and then receive Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And It changes everything. We see Christians then telling other people about the good news and inviting them to respond in repentance, be baptized, and follow Jesus. The movement of Christianity grows person by person and then exponentially as people walking in darkness receive the light of Christ and want others to know what they know and have what they have. Well, you and I are living in dark days. People need light. And Jesus is the light of the world today in the same way that he was the light of the world at the beginning of creation and at the first Christmas and throughout his life on earth and in his radiance now at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is the light of the world. So if you're walking in darkness of any kind today, I invite you to consider Jesus. If you'd like to know more about what it means to begin a relationship with Christ or to chat with someone about it, just text the word FAITH to 41224. Well, again, the month of June, we are in what is called our month of forgiveness. We have great resources. If that's an issue you're struggling with, want to dig deeper into Yeah, go to our website, MyFaithRadio.com, and then also make sure you're listening to Faith Radio on Wednesday the 28th for our Day of Forgiveness. Every program, every conversation will help you focus on what the Bible says about forgiving others and some powerful stories of why you should and how you can forgive. So I hope you join us for that time. Let's continue our conversation with Jonathan Cruz. I'm Paul, by the way, filling in for Carmen here on Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. And Jonathan, we've been going through talking about your book and actually talking about Jesus and the fruit of the Spirit in his life. And as we look at, again, the the, the list that is given in Galatians and I come to gentleness and self-control, and I hear a lot of people like to, and some like to celebrate the fact that Jesus lost control of himself at the temple and was, you know, turning over tables and chasing out the money changers, and that wasn't very kind. That wasn't very self-controlled, but it was so good. Okay, it's a little more more than that. I want you to address that issue, because even in that, there was a kindness, and (laughs) there actually was a lot of self-control. Yeah, that's a great question, Paul. Thanks for raising it. so Jesus and the money changers, when we talk about uh, kindness, always Jesus not being kind to the people there. Well, uh, kindness is, you know, we could say that kindness is a disposition of the heart. That's how at least I explained in the book that seeks the welfare of others. And what Jesus saw happening in the temple, the way that the worship of God was being perverted, was not tending to the welfare of the nation. And so he was moved um, uh, for for their own sake uh, to to do something about it. Um, he was also, of course, moved by zeal for God's glory. Um, yes, indeed, uh, he was. He was greatly. Um, 
he was greatly enraged. He was he was agitated. Uh, there's there's no doubt about that. We're not going to downplay the the um, the emotion that he put on display. But the question is, was he was it were his emotions not under his control? And I'd say, well, no, absolutely not. It was at that moment that he chose to reveal his zealousness for God by um, by by taking some violent actions, overturning uh, the tables and and uh, charging the money changers uh, out of out of the temple so self-control that 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 spiritual fruit uh when we talk about self-control we're talking about kind of having self-mastery uh not not being um uh dictated by by our feelings such that we can't make clear decisions anymore but i would say that jesus was perfectly uh, in control of his faculties at that moment and he he chose <laughs> as as the perfect god man um to to reveal the glory of God in in a sort of um, arresting way, right? It's it, it, it caught people's attention. But to think that at that moment Jesus was was not in control would be, uh, I would say, it would be blasphemous. No, of course he was in control at that moment. So he actually displays the glory of God in in doing what he does to the money changers. But it's of course intentional all the way through. Mm, good answer, like that, Jonathan. All right. As we look at your book, and it is, again, we do have copies we're giving away. Again, the book is called The Character of Christ, um, The Fruit of the Spirit in the Life of Our Savior. And we, if you'd like to get in on the drawing, 877-933-2484. Text the word book to that. Respond to the hyperlink we send back and get in the drawing. Um, Jonathan, I think the core of this book, and you summarize it nicely at the end, has to do with why is it important for us to see the fruit of the Spirit in the life of Jesus for us as believers. Because, yes, we want this in our lives, and sometimes we'd like to white-knuckle it and whatever, and we got to be more loving, we got to be more kind, we got to be more forbearing. And yet, why is it important to first see it in Jesus? Yeah, I think that is the question that I'm trying to answer in this book. Um, and really goes back to what, what Jesus himself says in John uh, chapter 15, when he uses the analogy of vine and branches, when he's talking to the the disciples about what it means to be uh, a, a follower of him or a believer, he says, I'm the vine, you are the branches, believers are branches, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit for a part from me, you can do nothing. So now we're talking about bearing fruit. How do we do it? If we just approach uh, the fruit of the spirit as a list of virtues to try to cultivate in our lives. Um, and we just approach it right at Galatians 5 with no other context, it will seem like this is a to-do list given to us by God, and it will be in, immensely discouraging as we try to evince uh, these virtues and these characteristics in our lives. But if we remember what Jesus has said, and something, of course, Paul would have known was he gave this list. I'm sure he's hearkening back to this discourse in some way. We would remember, wait, no, I need to be in Christ before I can ever produce the kind of love that God wants or the kind of joy that he's after. I can't do it on my own. I need to be united to Jesus, and that's by faith. And so that's what I mean in the book when I say you need to look to Christ. You need to view his life. That's why the book gives uh, these you know, examples of the fruit of the Spirit in the ministry of Jesus. It's as we see them in his lives or in his life, um, those those fruit will be uh, manifested in our lives because to see him for who he is is what will what will unite us to him. When we see him for who he is, we have faith in him. We fall on our faces before him. We love him because he is 
um, in an unmatched and, and uh, unrivaled way, the heart of God. Uh, we see that in, in an incarnational way in the life of Christ. So as we as we look to him, as we come, become more and more enamored with him, we fall yeah. more and more in love with him, uh, and we we find ourselves in him, we will see he is in us, and he will give us his spirit, and his spirit will make us like the Son. That's what Romans 8 tells us, um, right, that we will be conformed to the image of the firstborn Son of God. And so, indeed, as we have the spirit of God in us, it's not a demand that's placed upon us to to cultivate this fruit of the spirit, it's more his declaration, right? If you have my son, if you have my spirit, you will have this fruit as well. And that's a great comfort in the Christian life. So essentially, it's that whole worship thing that in the Old Testament, God warned, you know, if you worship idols, you'll become like them. Well, if you worship God, a lot of those characters become, you start taking on those characteristics. When you're, when, yeah, you're, so when you're enamored with Christ, you're worshiping him. It's like, oh, it just kind of become, you just kind of take it in. That's absolutely right. Psalm 115 talks about how the idols of the nations, they don't have feet and they can't walk. They don't have hands. They can't touch. And those who make them are like them. So are those who trust in them. And the very next verse is, so Israel, trust in the Lord and you'll be made like him. Become like him. <laughs> exactly. exactly right. yeah. Hey, Jonathan, thank you for this book. Now, I want to take a few moments here, just a couple of minutes, because you have a side hustle as it were. <laughs> yes, you're a pastor. You do articles and all these other things. You, you've been written in plenty of areas, but you also are a hymn writer. That's right. Yeah. Talk, talk about that. Yeah. So um, I've been writing hymns now for about 10 years. Um, and uh, I, I write hymn texts when people hear hymn writer, they might think I, I write music too, but that's, that's not my gifting. Um, but I've written about uh, close to 50 hymns now, a number of which have been published, but you can find all of them um, on my website, hymnsofdevotion.com, and they're all free. They're meant, it's meant to be a resource for the church, but essentially, you know, I've just, I've always loved hymnody, the hymns of John Newton and and the Wesley Brothers and mm-hmm. Augustus Toplady and all the rest, and um, I, when I was in college, I started dabbling with it, and uh, now that I'm in pastoral ministry, it's really become sort of um, an outlet in, in pastoral ministry as I'm uh, wrestling with the text, preparing to write a sermon. Um, oftentimes, I'll, I'll turn turn to poetry and try to capture uh, the message in, in a hymn and then something that can then be used for my congregation as well. Um, and so I do really, yeah, I do see it as, as um, uh, you know, a, a particular ministry of of mine in the in my role as a pastor and a preacher of the word. It's meant to accompany the ministry of of the word. And um, I've been able to partner with a number of really gifted musicians, guys who actually know what they're doing with music, <laughs> uh, to to bring these texts to life. Uh, one of my recent collaborators is actually uh, St. Paul um, a, a native there and, and an artist in in the St. Paul Minneapolis area, um, Josh Bowder, professor oh, okay. at. A, Christian universities there, um, St. Thomas and Northwestern. So um, he and I have have written about a dozen together and uh, enjoying that collaboration and love to get them in the hands of God's people. Well, we had time, which we don't, unfortunately. I'd have you at least to recite one of the verses, you know, from one of your hymns, but it really would be cool, but we're out of time right now. But Jonathan, thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, again, if you want to check out his hymn writing, it's just hymnsofdevotion.com. Otherwise, uh, Jonathan's on Twitter. He's on Facebook. Or check him out at the, the Kalamazoo, um, what is it, uh, Community Presbyterian Church in Kalamazoo. So, Jonathan, thank you for joining us this morning here on Faith Radio. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. We'll be right back. 
Well, again, this is Mornings with Carmen, just without Carmen. She's on vacation with her sister right now. She'll be back on Monday. I'm Paul Perot, generally her producer, but I get to help out on air this week. And hey, now, if Carmen, I know, is doing this, because I see a few texts every now and then, uh, she's listening on the Faith Radio app. Now, if you're planning on going on a vacation this summer, but you don't want to leave your Faith Radio programs behind, you don't have to. Just Download the free Faith Radio app. That way you can bring us along wherever you go. Listen to Mornings with Carmen, Afternoons with Bill, Susie Larson Live. Listen to the live stream. Got podcasts there. Yeah, it's all there. And yeah, download the free Faith Radio app. Text the word app to 877-933-2484. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, Click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.